The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. It's time for the John DePietro Show here on News Talk, WNRI, 1380 AM and 99.9 and 95.1 FM. He's a special kind of sentinel. Mr. DePietro, who is in the eye of the storm. Suddenly, John DePietro became the story. Radio talk show host, John DePietro. All right, here we go, folks. The power hours arrive. John DePietro, this portion of our program is brought to you by K's. Remember, whether it's lunch, dinner, or drinks in the lounge, stop by K's. They're waiting for you. Good afternoon to everybody on Facebook Live. Can I see some thumbs up? I am wearing my uh, coronavirus mask just to be careful. So I am, um, there we go. I don't know why uh, I'm not getting much of a, uh, there we go. There's Rob Curry. If I could see a uh, thumbs up from people. We've had some, again, folks, it is not me, but had some uh, problems with uh, Facebook Live uh, today. It is cut out twice. Again, certainly not my doing, but I get a little concerned. And then uh, suddenly I am not. Seeing, um, I have it, uh, face, oh my goodness, don't tell me it cut out again. No, that's impossible. Did it? It can't be. No, here we are. I don't know. Boy, Facebook is having a tough day. And then as a result of that, that means Juan is having a tough day. Um, oh my goodness. Is, have we had to, had to do this three times? Is that possible? I can't tell. I can see the feed. And there we go. Okay. Um, Let's see. Let me just help. Everybody bear with me. We're going to talk to Tim Dodd right now, and then we should be uh, good to go. So, and we'll be uh, right on with it. All right. Uh, yes. Gathering signatures, da-da-da. There's Lawrence. Uh, Pope Francis, sick of day after supporting the sufferers. Oh, my goodness. There's our friend Rob and everybody else. So, okay. And there's Chris Moran. Hello. There's my Casey. Oh, no. No, well, you just got to be careful. How about that? I didn't know that. So the Pope was trying to comfort people that were sick with the coronavirus. Oh, my goodness. And now he's sick. Pope Francis, sick day after supporting coronavirus sufferers. Come down with a slight indisposition, forcing him to cancel planned mass in Rome after he expressed his solidarity with sufferers around the world. Hmm. The illness has forced the 82-year-old pontiff to nix a uh, Mass marking the start of Lent. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, anyhow, let's bring him on, folks. We have a lot of, uh, it's our weekly legal segment. Hi there, Dennis, o, uh, Dennis O'Reilly. He is our legal expert. Good afternoon to our friend Tim Dodd. Good afternoon, Tim Dodd. Hi, John. How are you? Very well. Hey, Tim, let's start off. Uh, we're going to jump around a little bit, but I do want to start off. Very, very moving uh, tribute to Kobe Bryant and his daughter that were killed in that tragic helicopter crash. And we're learning now, and this, uh, I'm not going to say we're surprised or shocked, but the, um, that apparently there is going to be some legal action uh, that's already started with the uh, Vanessa Bryant, the widow of Kobe Bryant. Yes, this is, this is the first of many lawsuits and many wrongful death claims that are going to be filed. Um, Kobe's widow filed on behalf of Kobe and uh, the daughter that also passed away. But remember, there were nine people who died on that helicopter, the pilot being one of them. So the Kobe Bryant lawsuit is for wrongful death and basically sues the, uh, the pilot, um, Ara Zobian, and the... Um, company that did this commercial helicopter service i don't know how much insurance coverage this company might possibly have but it's easy to see this claim turning into tens and tens of millions of dollars let's take kobe um, his wife has a loss of consortium claim regarding kobe um, She's the spouse. She loses his companionship, his spousal support, um, and every other aspect of being a married person. She also loses the consortium of her daughter. She'll never be with her daughter again. I mean, that's the obvious, uh, you know, all of the things that go on between mother and daughter. The three other uh, children of Kobe Bryant, I think he's got four, so the other three kids 
they have loss of consortium claims for the loss of their sister and the loss of their father. So just within the Kobe Bryant household, there's multiple claims. Now take all the other decedents. So let's take one of the other girls on the team. Um, maybe she was not with her parents. The parents would have loss of consortium claims. As far as the child, let's assume one of the kids, you'd have to get an economist to prognosticate based upon their age, their education, and their family history, try to extrapolate what their earnings could have been in the future. Uh, did these folks all suffer uh, before the crash? Pain and suffering claims. So there's not going to be nine claims and eight if we discount the pilot. There's probably going to be about 25 claims by the time you get into all the heirs who would have claims for consortium under the wrongful death statute that exists in the state of California. In my view, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, with so many claimants, and especially Kobe's obviously the big kahuna because his future earning potential was so enormous. I mean, his future earnings would be in the hundreds of millions of dollars, potentially. Um, so he's got the biggest claim. Now, the insurance company, let's take the insurance company for the helicopter company, they can't say, well, we've got a $50 million policy, let's just pay the $50 million out to Kobe and we'll be all done. No, they've got to wait for all of the claims to mature. So at the end of the day, you might have 20, 25 people filing claims, jumping on the policy that's available. And then the insurance company has to determine how that gets apportioned. So it seems to me this becomes a little like, if, if it's possible, like the station fire case. Um, is there a claim potentially against Sikorsky helicopters and the way they manufacture, the way they fail to put the appropriate GPS system, if you will, that would have told the pilot where the ground was? Um, were there any, any other defective components in the helicopter which have, could have contributed to the crash? They're going to need more insurance. That's the bottom line. I can't imagine this company would have enough standing alone to take care of all the claims. Additionally, and I don't know, we're speculating, let's assume the pilot or the, the company said to Kobe, hey, it, it's a really foggy day. Um, it's really questionable whether we should go or not. And Kobe says, let's go for it. And let's assume there's some writing where he acknowledged he's been advised not to take the flight, but he says we're going for it. And it's his decision. And all the other people just sort of tag along because he's Kobe. If Kobe had any involvement in saying, let's take the risk, or I'm going to make the decision to take the risk for all of us, and I'm not suggesting that's true, but hypothetically, if there's any evidence of that, the other decedents may well have a claim against Kobe and his estate, saying, you recklessly chose to put us all in a, a helicopter in the fog and take off. Now, to date, there's none of that information suggesting anything like that occurred, but you can be sure the other decedents will be looking to see if there's any claims that they can make against Kobe because he's got a big honking estate. And again, there will never be enough money to take care of all the numerous claims here. The, um, the widow also, as part of her complaint, in addition to seeking compensatory damages, has a claim for punitive damages. And we've talked about punitive damages before, but to review, punitive damages uh, require that the wrongdoer engage in willful, wanton, reckless conduct, which is tantamount to criminality. And the classic case is the Ford Pinto. Uh, when Ford was producing the Pinto, the gas um, tank was positioned in a way that they knew, they had done tests, that in a certain number of cases, when a Pinto gets rear-ended by another vehicle, it's going to explode because the gas tank was wrongfully positioned and it didn't have enough um, um, pr protection in the event of a crash to keep it from exploding and having all the gasoline ignite. A decedent who died in a Pinto, their estate sues Ford through discovery, finds out that Ford knew the whole time, hey, these Pintos are going to blow up once in a while and kill people. Eh, let's put it out on the market anyways. And when that all came to light, um, that decedent got not only money for compensatory damages, but Ford got 
slammed for punitive damages, and that's a way for the, system, the legal system to punish the wrongdoer and send a message out to the, to the world. Don't put, in that case, defective products into the marketplace. But in this case, to show punitive damages based upon what we know today, I'm not sure you could make the case that the pilot's conduct was willful, wanton, reckless, and tantamount to criminality. There could be a paper trail, there could be text, there could be emails. Let's assume he says, yeah, I like a challenge, I like to live dangerously, let's, let's fly off into the fog. Well, if there was something like that, that could help move this in a direction where punitive damages might be obtainable. But getting punitive damages in a case like this is going to be a heavy lift for any lawyer trying to um, extract that sort of money out of any of the defendants. Um, but this is the first of many lawsuits, and it's going to be a very expensive case um, when the totality of claims are paid out. It's just going to be a question of how much coverage is available. Tim Dodd, it sounds like, I mean, this is going to go on for years. I mean, this oh, is, yeah. and, and, and I'm not saying that it's wrong or anything, but um, as time passes, um, even if someone is not filing a suit right now, I, I would just be surprised if everyone involved does not, and we'll learn more. Uh, but some kind of a suit towards Kobe that the way we learn it, he was kind of organizing the group and, and uh, you know, to get the team to the game. And and even if, I, you know, how many of these, they're not, I can't imagine, Tim, that these are going to go to juries or anything. And a lot of this is going to be file and then settle eventually and then file, settle, or people have different insurance policies for this type of thing. Yes. So any of any lawyers for the decedents have to try to, to find more potential defendants beyond this helicopter company. As I say, maybe the manufacturer of the helicopter. Um, who knows? You've got to get creative, just like they got creative in the station fire case. Right. Again, this was, this was Kobe's party. He he chartered this That's thing. That's right. Yeah. I'm sure he was part of the decision to the go no go decision. Do we fly or not? I'm sure he was consulted. I'm sure the pilot this didn't say unilaterally. Let's go. If Kobe had any part of the decision to take the risk and fly off into the fog, all those other decedents may well have claims against his estate. Yep. I know he's well loved. I'm sure people don't want to hear that, but it's a possibility. It is, and I remember just the final on the station nightclub. I mean, if people had any idea, I mean, eventually they they went after Budweiser because Budweiser was like a club night, or they had some kind of new product, and they were trying to say, well, Budweiser was encouraging people to drink, and by drinking they were impaired, and they were able to get out of the club. They couldn't get out of the club, and so forth. And then I I worked on the AM, and you know the FM was HJY and the parent company there. They would gave out tickets, and Doctor Metal, who then even you know died in the in the um, station nightclub fire, they were saying that they were encouraging people to go, and they went even so far as to see say that the radio station I remember HJY by by them including Budweiser that they were encouraging people to drink maybe heavier than they normally would, and therefore that. Um, you know, disabled some of the people from maybe having their wits about them and, and getting out. And so I, I think, Tim, you've been right on the money. Once these things start, and then it's just like a conga line where they line up and then everyone's, they're going after everyone on this. Yes, if you recall, I know you recall in the station fire, they went after the TV station. There was a cameraman filming right? yes. as the fire was uh, fully engulfed. Channel 12, and yep, Brian Butler. They get sued. I mean, everyone got sued. The, the lawyering in that case was from a plaintiff's position, phenomenal. Right. They, they shook out every dollar that was possible to get money for the victims. And a lot of those victims who are still with us um, could never be fully compensated. No. The injuries are just beyond imagination that they're suffering with. But the lawyers did a great job, and that requires getting creative, and they're going to have to do that with this helicopter case. And Tim, one final note. I don't know if you're familiar with the film The Wolf of Wall Street, but there's a scene where they're over in Europe, and it's Leonardo DiCaprio, and his wife's aunt, Emma, dies, and they have to get to the safety deposit boxes and sign their name to get the money, and he has a yacht, and he's talking to the captain of his own yacht. This is Leonardo DiCaprio in Wolf of Wall Street. And he says, we got to get going. And he says, well, I'm, I'm looking and there's a big storm coming. But then the captain relents and says, ah, a little bit of chop, but we should be okay. Some broken dishes. And then, 
you know, uh, so Wolf of Wall Street, Leonardo DiCaprio, they convince him to go. And then anyone that has seen the film, Chop, I mean, it is absolutely tidal waves. The ship goes down and they're rescued by helicopter. So even though, and I think that may come in, we've heard, there was a story in the LA Times, I think, Tim Dodd, of um, sometimes these VIP and celebrities, they kind of can kind of, I don't want to say browbeat, but definitely, like, listen, if you're not going to fly, fly, fly me, then I'll find someone else who will. And then maybe, just possibly, we don't know, but then the pilot gives in to what is the better judgment. And the next thing you know, you have an accident like this. But ultimately, Tim Dodd, it's got to be the pilot, either through the company or through just FAA saying, I'm sorry, Mr. Bryant or whoever, but we are not flying in this particular weather. Well, and, and we've talked about many, many times, and hopefully your listeners have got the message that what you put into a text and what you put into emails is forever, and be careful what you type up and disseminate to the world. Let's assume the pilot said, I don't think it's a good idea to fly, and let's assume the owner or the manager of this um, uh, commercial service said, listen, you this is Kobe Bryant. He's our biggest account. You get in there and you fly him and his kids to that game. If there's something like that, that would be you know, certainly helpful to proving the point or bringing more people in or getting different defendants in. Um, or, as Rath said, if, if Kobe had any involvement with the go-no-go no go decision and he's, they explain the risks and he says, listen, i got to get my kid and these girls to the game. Let's go for it. Um, you could have a problem. Yeah. I'm sure the paper trail is going to lead this case in many different directions that we don't yet know about. Uh, last thing on that, I remember, Tim, uh, in the early 90s, I knew someone that worked um, with a, well, it was Rush Limbaugh. I worked with him, and there was a story that on New Year's Eve, Rush and some people, and they were going on a private jet, and the pilot of the jet actually happened to be a former pilot of Air Force One. That's who was uh, piloting this private jet. And it was New Year's Eve, and they were scheduled to go to Bermuda. And because of a snowstorm, the officials in Bermuda were going to close the airport. And the way I was told was they reached out to someone high up in our government who actually called bermuda officials and demanded they leave that airport open so rush and his party could land there on new year's even a snowstorm yeah it's that's, <laughs> that's not surprising right. i'm sure you know the same courtesy and the same bending over backwards and the same trying to accommodate kobe probably was a big part of the decision to fly off into the fog i yeah. mean if it was a, you know garden variety folks getting on there the pilot might have said forget it but as you said you know they want they want to show the, they want to show Kobe that they're the team and that they get it done and that oh, they yeah. will take care of of him. They'll give him, you know, red carpet service. Right. And that would included taking that chance, which was a fatal mistake. Folks, good afternoon. It's John DePietro speaking with our legal expert, who is uh, Rhode Island top attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, um, you you predicted it and called it. The jury was caught up with some of the Harvey Weinstein charges. They were seemingly deadlocked at one. Um, it doesn't sound like they, the prosecutors got everything they were looking for, but still, nonetheless, very significant. And uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the verdict in the Harvey Weinstein case, and even more, so much for the Walker, Tim. They show him walking upright, and he's cuffed behind his back, and they immediately brought him out to Rikers Island. Yes. Several things. I mean, he was found not guilty on three counts, especially two of the most serious counts. He was found not guilty. Um, he was found guilty on one first degree and one third degree. That's sufficient to put him in jail for probably 15 to 20 years, um, plus or minus. He's not going to get the max, but I think this trial judge um, is going to hit him pretty hard because the conduct is... Um, outrageous um whether or not it was consensual or not i mean we've, the only word i can think of is that he's a really creepy guy but the verdict also shows that this particular jury had some real problems with the testimony of the victims if the victims were fully believed from wire to wire everything they said then harvey would have been found guilty on all five counts the fact that he was not found guilty on the more serious counts, 
um, suggests that defense counsel did a very, very good job in really drilling down and testing the stories of the, of the victims and the corroborating witnesses and found problems and found holes in their stories. And the jury uh, seemed to be a very smart, very thorough jury. They went back and wanted to hear the direct testimony and the cross-examination of the complaining witnesses and some of the corroborating witnesses and testing the story of each of the witnesses against the others and what they had previously um, stated. Some, at trial, their testimony was not consistent in all, in all cases with their prior statements to police and to prosecutors. I do think that um, Harvey right now, he's in the hospital prison. Uh, I think, his, I think he's, his back problems are clearing up quickly. But I don't think the judge is going to release him uh, with further bail pending appeal. I think he's going to start serving his time right away while his appeal is pending. Um, I think if the judge were to let him stay out pending the appeal of his conviction, um, there'd be a lot of blowback uh, with the particular judge. I think there'd be a lot of outrage, you know, in, with the Me Too movement and with the media generally. I mean, Harvey's not a very sympathetic figure at this time. And whether or not to keep um, the defendant out um, after being convicted and pending appeal is left to the sound discretion of the trial court. So if the judge says, no, I'm not letting you stay out on, um, on the streets pending appeal, you're going away right now, uh, that's a decision which um, would not likely be overturned under any circumstances. My, I've been reading that Harvey's hired himself a consultant to prepare him for prison life and how he should behave and what she, he should expect and, you know, what to do and not do in prison. He's getting a, um, a tutorial in prison life, so he's ready for it. Hey, Tim, what about his upcoming uh, trial? He still faces charges in uh, Los Angeles, Harvey Weinstein. Yes, and they're for much the similar type of conduct. So he is still facing a new trial with very similar facts, very similar types of victims, with very old stories, historically old, without a lot of contemporaneous corroboration, without going to the hospital and having a rape kit um, taken out and having you know a medical test performed, without going to the cops immediately, without a lot of contemporaneous telling families and friends, guess what happened to me? I can't believe it. This guy did X, Y, and Z to me. So it's going to be the same playbook, essentially. And I don't know if Harvey has different lawyers, the same lawyers, but if the lawyers in California um, recreate some of what the defense did in this particular case, um, he probably wouldn't walk scot-free on that one either. He would probably still get jammed up on some of the charges. But I think that um, his defense team has established a very good playbook for him. They, whether you like Harvey or not, and I don't think many people do, and whether you like defense lawyers or not, I mean, from a professional uh, perspective, uh, what his team did for him is extremely impressive. They did a great job. Folks, good afternoon. It's John DePietro. Speak with our legal expert, Tim Dodd. Tim, a uh, story in the Boston Globe saying, uh, you know, right now, everyone at the State House, it's a buzz. They're back after the February break. Um, constant chatter, buzzing about Speaker Mattiello. And the Boston Globe had a story of, you know, what exactly happens in the grand jury? What are they still weighing? Right now, we know that uh, some people testified. Traditionally, they don't talk a lot, uh, the attorney general, about the uh, any type of grand jury. And, and have actually denied even. They just don't comment, comment one way or the other. But it certainly leaves a lot of people just wondering what, what's next with... By all accounts, listen, I, I've even personally one-on-one -on -one talked with people that have testified in the grand jury. It's everything we've talked about. They ask about the whole situation with um, with his friend Jim Demers and what is at stake and exactly the statue that we've talked about. And Mattiello has not been subpoenaed, so we certainly have reason to believe he is the target. In your mind, as we sit on this Thursday, we and uh, the grand jury meets, I believe, on Mondays and Wednesdays. So 
where, where do things stand with what what we know as the Speaker Mattiello grand jury regarding his actions in re- relation to the Rhode Island Convention Center? Well, as far as we know, Nick has not been subpoenaed to appear before the grand jury. And, you know, we, we spend a lot of time reading tea leaves because we really don't know what's going on behind that closed door of the grand jury room. You can speculate that because Nick has not been called to testify before the grand jury, that he's the target and that they have no intention of calling him. And um, they're going to make their case to either get an indictment or that there'll be no true bill based upon what all of his um, subordinates have to say. Um, That would be one um, lane that you could travel in terms of speculation. I've heard anecdotal stories that some of the witnesses have been called back for a second go-round after the first round of testimony, uh, maybe to drill down a little bit further on some inconsistencies. It, it, It appears, based on what we can know versus rumor, that all of the fact witnesses have appeared before the grand jury. There still may be documents to be reviewed. Um, the grand jury, as we've discussed, is not only handling this case, but they they sit on numerous cases, and they're juggling many, many, many cases during their tenure as grand jurors. So it may well be that the prosecutor has not yet wrapped this one up. The prosecutors might be doing more homework. It's impossible to speculate um, it could take weeks, it could take days, it could take months for the grand jurors to come up with a decision on this case. So I, I know that you know the rumor mill at the State House is on fire with all sorts of innuendo and speculation. I don't think any of it's particularly worthy of consideration because no one really knows. Um, further, no one knows whether any of the players here have been granted immunity. If anyone has, they're certainly not bragging about it. Yep. Um, so we don't really know um, if anyone has flipped, if anyone is a cooperating witness. We don't know if there's anyone who has information that would be worthy of the prosecutors giving them any sort of immunity. Um, again, I could be dead wrong, but I keep looking at that statute, and i assuming everything that the way you've, um, I think, um, packaged it the best in terms of the worst case scenario for what may have happened. I'm still not sure that it satisfies the elements of the criminal statute of extortion. So that is an open question. And a big question mark would be, how do the prosecutors attempt to explain the statute and the elements of the statute to the grand jurors? I mean, if if John if John DePietro's the prosecutor, he's going to convince the grand jurors that um, there's there's criminal exposure by the speaker or his subordinates. If Tim's the uh, prosecutor, I might be well suggesting that the elements of the statute have not been satisfied. We don't know what the prosecutors are going to do. Right, and we don't we don't know if the grand jurors are going to look at the statute and start asking questions and parsing the words like you and I have parsed the words, you know, on various occasions not the, the best worded statute. Um, hey, so. Tim, we, we, I got two email questions about the grand jury. And again, folks, we're speaking with uh, our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Number one, this is from Paula. If someone is recalled to the grand jury, can they alter or, um, she puts change, but alter their testimony based on perhaps they refresh their memory on something. Is, is that possible that if someone is recalled the way, if I'm understanding her email properly, they could say, on second thought, I know I said I never saw them, but actually the, I remembered I did see them at a Christmas party, what have you. Is that allowed or is it, nope, you said this is a grand jury, boom, um, perjury charge? No, no, I mean, there, there are ways that you can correct your testimony Good if you have a you know in the middle of the night you wake up and you oh my god i forgot about such and such um the fact that you forgot 
during your first testimony and you remembered and you correct at your second appearance does not uh, prove that you lied the first time. You know, I, I've, I've been involved in things and totally forgotten about it. And somebody says, well, don't you remember such and such? And it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot totally about that. Unlikely that people are going to forget the facts on this case since this grand jury is convening so close to when the incidents occurred. Right. Um, but anytime you want to correct yourself, um, if it's seen as a good faith correction, no harm, no foul. Sure. If it seems like you're backfilling to try to cover for yourself um, or that you're trying to correct a blatant lie, um, that could expose you to perjury charges. And... If you don't and you've lied and it's determined that you lied, as we've seen with many of the president's associates, if you lied in front of the grand jury, you will be, in all likelihood, subject to uh, criminal prosecution. Tim, I got an email from Ken that said, can you ask uh, Tim Dodd, the 23 grand jurors, this person's referring, there was an article in the Boston Globe the other day, the 23 grand jurors, are they asking the people testifying directly or when we hear that the grand jurors are asking questions, do they pass a question to the prosecutors who then ask the question? Every, it, it's up to the prosecutor. Typically, it's through the prosecutor. I mean, sometimes it's more of an open discussion, but typically it's through the prosecutors because you want to make sure that the questions are appropriate, you know, and not going to um, um, generate answers to improperly formed questions. Um, and to elicit information which would not be appropriate to bring out. So it's typically vetted by the prosecutor. So they would maybe vet through and maybe they see, okay, this is a good question. This has been answered. But that, that would certainly make Thanks. sense as opposed to if you, anyone that's ever been in a room with, my God, 23 people. I mean, then people feel like I should say something I haven't talked. Some people like to talk. So then it sounds like these things could go on endlessly. You, you, you can't lose control if you're the prosecutor, but you also can't muzzle and disregard and, you know, diminish the questions of the grand jurors because you could tick them off and they say, well, screw it. If you're not going to even ask my questions, you know, what are you, why aren't you asking what I'm interested in? Right. So it's a balancing act for the prosecutors. Now, another... Uh trial that's going to be upcoming that uh, will somewhat kind of involve the speaker, but um, and it, it came out this week, prosecutors turn over grand jury evidence in the Jeffrey Britt probe. State pros prosecutors have turned over the defense grand jury testimony from key witnesses. They have uh, provided the, the transcripts of testimony from Richard Thornton, Shauna Lawton, uh, Victor Pichette, Britt's lawyer, Robert Crenty, last week uh, asked the court to compel the state's disclosure of grand jury evidence. What I am told was... Um, if you follow the news reports, apparently Team Britt had filed this request for the grand jury uh, prosecutor to turn over the grand jury evidence. They weren't getting a response, so I didn't feel they didn't get it fast enough. Very typical. You leak to the media. Now the media has a story. Puts a little bit of extra pressure on the AG's office. How common is that, uh, Tim Dodd, uh, that someone then they want the grand jury evidence as you're going through. Is that just to, what, what, what do you think is behind that? Uh, uh, that's very common. In a serious case, sure, you want the, if you're a defense counsel, you want to know everything that potential witnesses have said previously under oath. So it's your obligation to get the grand jury uh, minutes and to get as much of that testimony as possible to know what, who has said, who has said what about whom. Um, so it's, it's very typical. It's very normal. Um, it's normal for defense counsel to ask for it. It's normal for the state to produce it. Apparently, it was taking too long because of transcription issues, allegedly. At least that's what the AG was blaming the delay on. But um, defense counsel is absolutely entitled to that material. Um, I'm not sure how helpful it'll be, because if we review, this case was first heard before the Board of Elections. The board, after hearing from all the subpoenaed witnesses and getting varying degrees of cooperation, um, they, they can't prosecute the Board of Elections, but they can refer to the Attorney General's office for further investigation. That occurs. The AG then tees up a grand jury, and that grand jury, after hearing from all the key players, like Shauna Lawton, like uh, Victor Prechette, like uh, Matt Jerzyk, like um, Ed Cotuno. I, I'm not sure if all of them testified, but they were all 
part of the cast of characters in this thing, after it was all said and done and after they'd all testified under oath, only Brit uh, was indicted, nobody else. Um, and I recall that when the grand jury concluded, Peter Narona told reporters that there was no admissible evidence that Nick Mattiello was, a, was aware of Jeff Britt's um, alleged uh, criminal conduct. So that's pretty strong for Peter Narona to come out and say, the grand jury's concluded, they've indicted Britt, there's no admissible evidence that Mattiello knew what was going on. So that's, that's significant. And yeah. that was, you know, back in the fall, when this, I think he was in, first brought into court like back in October of 2019. So for Peter Narona to say that on the record, um, that Mattiello didn't know, and that's after the grand jury was done with its um, job, um, that says a lot. Yeah. Now, if Jeff Britt is now going to say, well, Nick knew all about it, and all, everyone was in on it, um, that may or may not be consistent with what happened at the grand jury. So Bob, certainly Bob Carrente's got to look at that and see if there's any discrepancies, inconsistencies, or anything that he can use. My biggest question mark is that defense counsel keeps saying that Jeff's not going to be the fall guy. Well, that implies that Britt did what is alleged. Right. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're the fall guy, you did it, and now you're being charged with it, and you're saying that I'm not the fall guy. So if he's not going to be the fall guy, then he's going to say, well, X, Y, or Z, somebody told me to do these things, and somebody else engineered this whole endeavor and chatted up Shauna Lawton and made promises to her and got the phony check to funnel through wherever it got funneled through to pay default for the mailer. Um, so either somebody else dreamed this thing up and told Britt to do it, or Britt dreamed it up and did it as sort of a um, special ops mission, if you will. Um, Based on what I've read and what I've seen, it would appear to be more of a Brit special ops operation than necessarily somebody else in the campaign telling him to do X, Y, and Z. And um, I do have some familiarity with what's going on here, and it just doesn't seem like Brit's going to have the ammunition to point fingers in a meeting. He can point fingers at whoever he wants. Right. But that's not going to prove that they did it, and it's not going to prove that he didn't do it. I still think, John, we've predicted it before. I think at the end of the day, on the cusp of trial, there'll be a plea bargain, which will make this case go away. Yeah, and I... If, if, you're, if you remember looking, I don't know if it was in yesterday's paper or Monday's paper, um, Britt's lawyer said, there's been no settlement discussions with the attorney general. That's preposterous. In every case, you have a pretrial conference you go in chambers, and the prosecutor and defense counsel talk to the judge and see if there's any sort of plea bargain that can dispose of the case. Whether you like the AG's offer or not, there's typically some discussion at some level, and it's incumbent on defense counsel to at least get an offer, to go back to your client and say, all right, Jeff, the best deal I'm going to be able to get you is X. Do you want the deal or do you want to go to trial? So to say that there's not been any settlement discussions maybe it's true but it would be very unusual the fact that tim dodd when peter narona the attorney general said there's been no admissible evidence that shows the speaker knew what was going on is that a way to telegraph to the defendant therefore if you have evidence that shows that feel free to share otherwise you are the person holding the bag at the end of the day, and we have no admissible evidence that the speaker knew what was going on. Almost conversely, so if you want to try to cut a deal with us, we'd like to see something to the contrary. Well, the problem with that is I believe Narona made his statement after the grand jury had concluded and right. after uh, Britt was indicted. So. What fresh material could Britt have to offer? What's he going to say? I lied before the grand jury? Or I didn't tell the truth? You didn't ask me the right questions? Well, we, but, we don't, but Tim, we don't know what he said to the grand jury, right? No, we don't. We so don't. he could have taken but the fifth it, in front of the grand jury and therefore not offered any type of evidence. 
Well, at this juncture, he if if he was offered immunity for flipping and testifying against somebody else, um, hasn't happened yet to the best of anyone's okay. knowledge. Right, but that's what they could be holding out for. Maybe maybe he wants yeah. immunity, and I I think if 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 the speaker gets indicted on this convention center thing and goes down. I think that's when you really see a settlement, because then what, what's the point? Then, I mean, I know it's still a crime and so forth, or allegedly it is, but I think then, like, this, all, to me, this thing only even has media uh, hooks to it if, in fact, somehow the speaker is still the speaker. If this then, and then he's just some guy, the former speaker, I, I, I don't see that it has the same type of attention that it would when you're talking about testimony regarding a current sitting speaker of the House. Yes, and as far as what Brit's charged with, the felony is on very shaky ground. I don't really think it's an appropriate felony. And the election violation um, count, If uh, I I, I challenge anyone to read the statute uh, for election violation that Brit's charged under and read it and understand it and know what the elements of the crime are. if, if you haven't looked at it, I'll send it to you. But it is the most dense, convoluted, right. inconsistent, unintelligible thing hmm. you've ever looked at. Yep. So I don't even know how a judge would look at that and discern where the criminal elements are. It's a horrible statute. He, so, I mean, in terms of this being a defendable case, it's very defendable. Sure. In terms of it being something that's worth a very modest or minimum um, plea disposition... This could be pleaded out at the lowest end of, you know, criminal exposure, some sort of probation or something that would result not in a criminal conviction. He could walk away from this thing without a criminal conviction. Um, So the, the, the two charges against him are shaky at best. Finally, Tim Dodd, uh, the Trump administration, although this is going to continue in court, but they did get a victory regarding um, the, the, the court's ruling that they do have the right to withhold funds from cities that are basically operating a sanctuary city and not following uh, the law of the land with the Trump people. Now, again, I just say I, these things then it's like a round one, round two, appeal, go to this one, go to that one, and then it, it just seemingly takes a long time. But as far as the Trump people, it certainly was a win that some of these cities, and Providence is one of them and there's others, that they feel we don't have to uh, uh, comply with federal law regarding immigration. And the, the Trump people do have a judge that said, well, then you actually do have the right to shut off some of the funds that, uh, that they have been getting. Well, two federal circuits have said that the Trump administration cannot withhold funds. Now we've got a decision, I think it's out of the Second Circuit, saying that the Trump administration can withhold the funds. So now you've got courts of equal standing saying contradictory things, which makes the case ripe to go up to the Supreme Court, because which circuit is correct? Is the Second Circuit correct or is the Third Circuit correct? One says he can, one says he can't. Um, So you you can like one decision and dislike the other depending on your point of view, but neither is dispositive of this issue. So it will require the case going up to the Supreme Court uh, for, you know, for the court to give a, a conclusion to which circuit was correct and to clear the field on whether the Trump administration can do this or not. Um, I guess this feeds the narrative that, you know, like, People like Chuck Schumer don't like that the president goes to court to try to enforce what he thinks the law should be. And I guess these things that keep going up to the Supreme Court bother people like Justice Sotomayor, who doesn't like that the Trump administration keeps going up there and winning. I mean, what a a terrible thing to have to consider that Trump might win a few of these things. Um, That's a different topic about what she said in the media. I think it was a very... um, she can think it, but she shouldn't say it. Right. To, right. to come out with that, I mean, maybe she's done so throughout her entire career, but now she's up against somebody who punches back hard. And I think the president's response to her was a good one. I don't think she's going to ever recuse herself, John. No. But by the same token, his punch back, I think, will make her choose her words a lot more carefully going forward. Folks, he's our legal expert, uh, 
uh, Rhode Island attorney, uh, top attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, great job. A lot of fun. Excellent job this week. And we'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. All right, folks. There it is. Tim Dodd joining us on the John DeFutro Show. This portion of our program is brought to you by K's. Remember, the lunch, dinner, drinks, the lounge. Stop by K's. The waiting for you. Good afternoon to everybody on Facebook Live. There's Mary. There's Renee. I know. Yes. I am wearing a uh, coronavirus mask, partly just because it is getting so much attention. Low connection. It's having a problem with the connection. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, Facebook has been giving me so many problems today. But good afternoon to everybody. Can I see a quick thumbs up, Renee and Mary and everyone on Facebook Live, if uh, if you're enjoying the program? And give me a thumbs up that you're um, enjoying it. And more importantly, that you enjoy the mask uh, that Juan has on. 766-1380. There we go. 766-1380. Hey, folks, as the weather is getting warmer... Now, listen, I want to remind you, let's get rid of the algae and mildew outside of your home. And what I'm talking about is take advantage of Bethel certified soft wash. That's right. You can text Jared at 401-617-2585. 617-2585. Go to his Facebook page, Bethel, B-E-T-H-E-L, Bethel certified soft wash. And what are we talking about? Let's get rid of exactly what i just said it's outside your home or it's outside uh, right on the side of your home or your business and you know what it is it's the green stuff it's algae and mildew and jared has the special solution that will take it off but most importantly bethel certified soft wash it won't damage it won't it get rid gets rid of all the unwanted material like i said such as algae algae and mildew staining and dust but it's environmentally safe look for them on facebook and you can text you could take a picture of say the side of your home hello there dean and then send it to jared and say i would like a free free estimate bethel soft wash same day free estimate 401 601-2585 residential specialist biodegradable and plant safe solution and it's going to look so much better without that green stuff 766 a lot more ahead with Juan. Attention business owners. In today's world, customers judge you by your website. And for most people, their first introduction to your business or company is your website. Karen Etchells at InnoVast is here to help. Give her a call at 401-321-2799. Hey, now it's 2020. You got to freshen up that old website design that Al Gore invented. If you've been thinking about updating your website or if you have questions about how to get the most out of social media for your business, you could receive a free consultation from a local digital marketing professional, and she's been doing this work for 25 years. Contact Karen Etchells at InnoVest Digital Marketing. She will help you better position your brand on the web to engage visitors and get results. She's local and responsive. Give Karen a call for a free consultation at 401-321-2799. That's 401 or find Karen on the web at www.innovast.com. Folks, remember J. Kale Engineering, they want to help you. Hello there, Kevin. J. can hear you. Uh, I hope so. J. Kale Engineering, 401-351-7600. Were we having a problem earlier with audio? I think uh, my friend Michael Degnan sent me a message saying there was a problem with the audio with Facebook Live. I am unaware of that. The audio on the radio broadcast is fine. But JKL, folks, licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. It's JKL Engineering, 401-351-7600. Licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts for over 53 years. JKL, second and none. Their reputation, the best. Remember, estimates are free. Financing is available for both residential and commercial. Call JKL Engineering today at 401 401- Three five one. 7,600. Do you own and operate a small business and you rely on communicating with your employees while they're out in the field? Well, if you do, this is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. This is Sal with T-Mobile for Business, and I encourage you to reach out to me today at 401-332-0000. This is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. Right now, we have unlimited plans with unlimited talk, text, and data. With no contract, great deals on iPhones and Samsungs, 
this is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. Stop wasting money. Call me for a free consultation at 401-332-0000. Again, 401-332-0000. Stop wasting money with your current cell phone carrier. Call me today, Sal with T-Mobile for Business, 401-332-0000. Thank you, Dennis O'Reilly. I hear you, J.D. Please call me Juan. Folks, remember again, West Fountain, say it, auto body. That's right, 401-272-3340. You can depend on West Fountain auto body, the original, the best. It's Kenny, it's Patricia, it's also, it's Kaylee. If you're ever in an accident, pick up the phone and call West Fountain auto body, 401 401- 272-3340. They'll repair your vehicle, showroom-like condition. If you're in an accident and you can't drive your vehicle, tow truck shows up. Say, sir or ma'am, bring this vehicle. I implore you to bring it to West Fountain Auto Body. 272-3340. They're located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. The original, the best. You can depend on West Fountain Auto Body. They'll repair your vehicle. Most importantly, they're going to work for you, not the insurance company, West Fountain Auto Body. Hello there, Jill. Good afternoon, one and all. Here I am at Juan. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by... Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland. Call them today, Victor Quartz, 401-714-8478. Do you have a plumbing emergency, Amy or Jill? Maybe you're, maybe right now you're saying, oh my goodness, Juan, I need a plumber. I have a problem with my drain or my pipes. Whatever it may be, Amy Brooks Kylie, call. Go Gilmore, that's right. Stop in there, Kevin. Stop in and see Steve. Kevin, I, I will give you a special prize if you stop in and see Steve at Gilmore Furniture, right off Route 37. Post Road in Warwick, right down from uh, TF Green Airport. Kevin Sadowski, I'll give you a special prize if you do that. But folks, remember, uh, call Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland. If you're having a problem, a plumbing problem, and you need a reliable plumber, Victor Quartz, 401-714-8478. Whether it's um, a bathroom remodel or pipes or any drain, any type of plumbing problem, repair and maintenance, you can depend <clears throat> on Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland, 401 401- 714-8478-401-714-8478. It's Quartz. Victor Quartz is the best. Call him. Again, if you need a plumber, right, you have an emergency, you need a plumber, call Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland. 401-714-8478. He's John D. Petro. He's really in the know with his talk show on your Folks, that's going to do it for the Thursday program. Uh, Don't miss. Tune in tomorrow. Now, remember, if you ever miss the show for whatever reason, it's so simple. You just go to the website, dipetro.com, and then now it's under radio show, and you can pull it up that way and listen, and then you never miss anything. And then, as always, you can always email me, john at dipetro.com. Thank you to all our different guests. Uh, But go to the website. It all begins and ends at DePetro.com. Stay tuned. The John Dion program is next. We're back tomorrow at 11. We're going to uh, play the quick update in the 2 o'clock news and leave it right here for the John Dion program. Rhode Island Inspection Station as well. WNRI and W236CW Woonsocket, 1380 AM and 95.1 FM.